He's Christian. He's Jimmer. Welcome back. Oh, I forgot that was my bit. Welcome back to Two Physical Therapists. And a bag of chips? Ish. A bag of pita thins. Pita thins. Although they look delicious. These are Stacy's pita thins. I, I have the plain ones when I have my little uh, mini hummus thingies. Yeah. So I know that these are going to be yummy. Well, good. They're not really chips, but it doesn't matter. That's okay. Thank you, uh, Mr. Seep, for yes. the pita thins. From the chip aisle, so we'll, we include it. We're pretty yeah. loose with Are they that. in the chip aisle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go and with And then uh, we're going to do the Gans osteotomy today. Gans. As a Gans procedure. Reinhold Gans. Yes. Or a P PAO, which is periacetabular osteotomy. Yeah, let's go with Gans. Which is a big, big, big mouthful. Yeah. We talked so, about Gans earlier. Um, we did. Wasn't related to Reinhold Messner. Reinhold no. Gans is no. a different Reinhold. It is. He is Swiss, though, not Austrian. Oh, there's that. He's a surgeon and professor. And um, he's still he's still very much alive. And he's so. pretty smart because he figured out how to do a periacetabular osteotomy. Yeah. So this is a this is a hip surgery. This is performed on individuals who have usually hip dysplasia or issues related to hip dysplasia. So hip dysplasia is most often talked about in, in infants and small children. It cannot be diagnosed and uh, be found later on in life. With most of the population we see here, it's young, athletic girls more than, more than boys, but we do see boys from time to time. And essentially what's going on is their, their socket of the hip is not as deep as it should be. And that results in several issues. The most noticeable of which is pain. Pain is what brings people in. But what's going on is essentially the, the head of the femur is resting precariously Ooh, good one. in the hip socket. So the coverage over the ball is not as good as it should be. And what the Gans osteotomy does is basically work to cover the femoral head. So that's pretty technical stuff. You're probably going to have to look at a photo for this to understand Look at exactly it this way. If that. you had a French beret precariously situated on your head, what they do is they move the beret so it kind of sits on top of your head so it doesn't fall off. So now the rain doesn't hit your head, whereas before the rain was hitting your head very often. Exactly. And so the problem with that is, is that there are structures on the outside of that acetabulum, so that socket area, called the labrum, and that gets pinched and hurt and torn and shredded, and that's got a lot of pain fibers in it, and that hurts a lot. And so most people who are not diagnosed as, as an infant with this do so because they have torn their labrum. And so we've discussed femoral acetabular impingement, and so this is plays a role in that. Uh, you can either have femoral head osteotomy, uh, which we've discussed there, so check out that podcast. You can have a labrum repair. You can have all three done. So a GANS procedure, a femoral osteotomy, and a labrum repair and or reconstruction all at the same time. Which is a shitty surgery. And it, is a, it is a bear of a surgery. I'm currently treating a, a young lady who is doing amazing following that procedure. Pain level shockingly low. Well, that's because it's a young lady, right? Yeah. So super motivated, higher pain tolerance, on average, than guys, and and um, that's always true. And she's young, so recovery ability is quite high. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she is. Um, she's a stud. She's yep. doing really, really, really well. 
So uh, an interesting component to this is something called a, a tonus angle or tonus angle. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Tonus sounds good. Yeah. And so what this is, it's an indicator of basically femoral acetabular congruency or how much of the femur is covered by the acetabulum. So kind of that beret situation. So we, how we well does it that. sit on top of your noggin? So this is an angle. It's delineated as the angle formed between the horizontal and a line along the superior acetabulum. We'll put photos up again. So anything uh, greater than 10 degrees is considered dysplasia. Anything less than 10 degrees is normal. So that's uh, pretty good. What you'll see is cases where that number reaches zero or negative numbers. That's when you can have what's known as a pincer lesion. So now there's bony growth on the end of the acetabulum, and that refers more, again, to femoral acetabular impingement. So that's your body's response to try to increase that congruency. That, that congruency. Cool. Yeah. I figured I'd throw out a good word, too. No, it's a, it's a good word. It's a great word. Uh, hip dysplasia basically is just a shallow hip socket. So if you think of the, uh, the T scotal discussion... What's that called in English now? It's a dish. A tea dish? Yeah. So the, 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 the dish essentially sits uh, very, like, kind of upright, and there's no coverage there. So what we've already talked about. Uh, this affects, hip dysplasia affects between 3 and 5% of the population, um, which is not particularly high. It's usually discovered in infancy. Uh, most of the time, they'll, they'll, as a baby, you will get checked for it. They'll do the open book test. Have you ever done that on a baby? I have not. With, with a, when it was positive? I have not worked with a like a baby outside of my own children oh, ever. So we had to do that in school. Yeah. And the open book test, you, maybe you can put up some, some stuff about that too. We'll put some open but book in you that. Can, I mean, you'll hear it dislocate. The hip just goes... And since it's not really a weight-bearing joint, the kids are generally speaking okay with it. But then they used to put them in like this huge cast... Yeah, with a, with a dowel in between their knees, so their legs stay in this open book position, which basically pushes the head into the acetabulum to try to increase the congruency or increase the depth. Yeah. And they'd be in this situation for like three, six months. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I mean, you not know, they're super happy, not super good for other things. There's the, there's there's the Pavlik harness, which is the same situation, and there's also a spica cast. So I think they're getting away from the cast, so that way... Yeah, we're talking like, you know, 70s and 80s. Yeah. They're going to the... I'm slightly the, the older the, than the you. The Pavlovic harness now, because that way you can, um, you know, change a diaper. Like You without. can still change a diaper, because the cast is like only... It goes up to the legs, and then it's wrapped around with a, with a belt, and then but the, the dowel is like stuck between their knees. It's, it's, it's a... So there's it's no a pretty gruesome-looking contraption, yeah. but... But if it saves you, I mean, honestly, your recovery from, from a GANS procedure is, is a year or more. I mean, this, these things take a long time to recover from. So if you spend three months when you're three months old doing it, you probably have no recollection of that whatsoever. So no, long, would, long term, it makes a lot of sense. But That's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah, but, but as, a, uh, as yeah. a parent of a newborn, it's a, it's oh, a royal it's, pain in the... You got a baby, and now you've got to deal with this thing too. Yeah, yeah. And you can't working. really carry them by the dowel because that's frowned upon. You know, they're hanging upside down. In this establishment, <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, they've discovered that about ten percent of all hip replacements are due to dysplasia. So individuals uh, who have a total hip arthroplasty have a dysplasic hip. Dysplasic. Yeah. 
And that number jumps to 48% of people who are under 50. So, wow. so a lot of young individuals that have hip replacements, it's due to, to undiagnosed dysplasia or, or poorly treated dysplasia uh, at some point in time. So definitely something that this procedure, the GONS procedure, is looking to, to eliminate is the need for any kind of hip replacement early in life and, and hopefully nothing you know, even later in life, because when you do it early, you can save as much cartilage as possible. You can prevent the labrum from getting torn. Uh, you can increase the, the suction in the hip joint and improve stability. That It just allows for a lot of positive things. Um, I'm personally a, a think that the GONS procedure is, even though it's quite gruesome and, and pretty hairy, is really a, a, a productive surgery to have, in, in my opinion. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, I can see where for some people it would be a toss-up. Like they'd say, well, I'll just wait till I'm 40, 50 and have a hip replacement, which is, quote unquote, a relatively easy procedure mm-hmm. uh, and a relatively easy recovery when compared to the guns. But I see what you mean with the, uh, you know, your recovery ability is obviously way better when you're 14, 15, 16 than when you're 46 or 56. So, but yeah, yeah there's there's probably pros and cons to choosing for the guns earlier or choosing for the hip replacement later? I mean, age is a huge factor, right? If you're 47, right, I mean, it really depends on the quality of the rest of your hip. If you've got osteoarthritis all over the place, I mean, that's not, you know, you're not helping yourself by doing the guns and then three or four years later having a hip replacement. Do they do them at that age, though? I've heard of it happening in, like, late 30s is the oldest one I've heard of. Um but I think it all comes down to essentially how, I mean, it's a, it's a hip sparing or hip preservation procedure, right? That's kind of how it falls in terms yeah. of the classifications. So if, if the joint is worth saving, you know, for other reasons, then it becomes an option. That'd be a, that would be an interesting study. Yeah. So if you're, yeah, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old, I mean, it's worth saving. You know, for the for most parts, right? Unless you know something crazy has happened there. Well, and then but, the tricky part is, and I don't even know if we we're going to discuss that, but that, this is not an easy procedure to perform. So not at all. You need a surgeon who is extremely skilled and gifted and talented. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, ha- has there's some feel and skill involved too, right? Like I mean, you can't really visualize this. Christian talking about the tonus angle. You know, you you need to. You can't just loosen the acetabulum, pivot it, stitch it back down, and call it good. Mm-hmm. There's there's some science behind it and some skill. And yeah. So it is, um, it's not a procedure that a lot of surgeons, I would think, are, are comfortable with. Uh, and as a patient, you definitely want to do some research as to who you would let um, practice Perform on this procedure, yeah. yeah. I mean, around here we have, uh, we have Dr. Hugate, who's who does this a, fa- a fair amount. He's one of the, f- the foremost experts in the U.S. on this and, and does probably the most out of almost anybody in the U.S. And yeah. so and in that regard. A, he is probably one of the better all-around surgeons um, in, the, in the area. Yeah. So. I mean, traditionally, this, this surgery is scheduled to take between four and six hours. Yeah, it's more than just... So, so basically what happens is if you look at a picture of the pelvis, they loosen the socket pivot, change the angle, and then reattach it. But that's a simplified version of it's what It's a really place. simple version <laughs> of what's is, happening. It is a massive procedure. We will link a, uh, a video to, to Dr. Hugate, and um, he'll explain it. 
in his own words, and uh, there'll be some video involved there. So yeah, it is pretty it's impressive. A, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of mental gymnastics going on to make sure that you're getting this this thing in the right place. So absolutely, don't just jump at the first guy who says we'll give it a go. Uh, <laughs> no, not, no, not you encouraged. may be better off yeah. just doing the hip replacement in that in that point in time. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, causes predominantly right genetic breech birth is is much more associated with hip dysplasia. Uh, females are between two and four times more likely, and then increased laxity, and that's if somebody scores highly on the on the Brighton test or has like Ehlers Danlos or something along those lines. Um, those are associated with you know people that do well with this procedure or people who have dysplasia just in general. So interesting. I mean, symptoms just like, I mean, hip and groin pain, no obvious injury. So that's kind of an important one to start tracking you in that direction. Obviously, uh, on x-ray or, or MRI or CT, you start measuring tonus angles and you, you find out someone has dysplasia pretty quickly. Other things that we'll see outside the body, increased hip internal rotation. So like W-sitters in, in children tend to, to present, and, and especially individuals who start to go through puberty and can still have can still W sit is a pretty big indicator that, that there's yeah, a that's, dysplasia that's present. Definitely too much movement. Increased antiversion. So again, it's a hip position, which is going to allow for, for, I mean, again, W sitting, I think is a really common presentation that you'll see. There's something called a HER test, which is H-E-E-R. And I'll get specific here. It looks kind of like the Thomas test for physical therapists, but in that position, you will increase hip extension and external rotation. A positive test is anterior hip pain. I mean, oftentimes it's going to look very much like, I mean, the, the pain is going to come from a labrum tear. So if you have positive labrum testing, you're going to probably follow up with an orthopedist, and then you'll find that there's potentially dysplasia or, or something worthy of more treatment. And again, if your numbers are pretty good and you just have a, you just have a torn labrum, right? I mean, femoral osteotomy, FAI, that's where all that sort of stuff comes in. So this is sort of the super version of the FAI procedure. It's all in that same ballpark. Prevention, the biggest prevention is, you know, assessing for dysplasia in infants and then treating. Uh, and it's, it's a standard test that's performed on newborns, mm -hmm. or should be. So just like I'm doing the APGAR score and they're, they're looking at other things, I'm looking for hip dysplasia is, is a standardized test that, is, that happens with newborns. But you know, if, if it's if it's a borderline and it doesn't get followed up on, it, it can potentially get missed. I mean, if it's pretty obvious, yep. it's pretty obvious. But if it's a borderline hip dysplasia, it may not get picked up. These kids otherwise develop well. There's really nobody who's going to check it again, um, other than a pediatrician maybe at some point in time. So it it does get missed. Yep. With us here, it's it's predominantly high school athletes that that we'll see with it, or college age athletes that we'll see with it, and most of them have been dealing with some sort of hip discomfort for a while and eventually it kind of gets to this point fairly rare thankfully for the gans procedure yeah fai is obviously substantially more common and more prevalent these days yeah but if you think you know significant cases of, of hip dysplasia especially at younger age i mean this may be something else to look at or, or something else to think about absolutely trivia trivia time this week's trivia how many golfers have won at least 10 majors in their career? I think um, good old TJ redeemed himself for his 
yeah. lackadaisical approach the last couple of months and um, even claim that it was the easiest question we've ever had. <laughs> went went all out. I'm surprised he didn't give us dates of all the majors yeah, no and the majors right? won. Yeah. Um, but so, I guess he got it right, huh? He did. So three was the answer for bonus points, right? Name name them. Uh, so Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Walter Hagen. Walter Hagen was was missed by some individuals or forgotten about. Yeah, I think a lot of people went for Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan, yep. A lot of people thought maybe Ben Hogan, but were like, he doesn't have 10. So. No, that, that was... Uh, or Sam Snead is another one. Yeah, was there was lots common. of reasons why he didn't have 10, right? Yeah. Um, bad car accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So TJ nailed it. Jamie, who works at a golf club, he better get this. He, he got it. Uh, Tony guessed three. Tony Korea, well done. So he got that right. Nice job, Tony. Friend of mine, Brendan. Uh, he he guessed two, Jack and Tiger, but completely missed on Hagen, even though he has Hagen golf clubs. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> That's unforgivable. And then R- Rob guessed six with no names or anything. So he was a little excited there. <laughs> Just a little out, out of the ballpark. That's, That's good. all right. But thank you, guys. Thank you for, for throwing some names in there. Uh, this week's question what is the longest continental mountain range in the world? That's a good one. So that means not in the ocean. So don't give me anything in the ocean, please. Right. Yeah. That's what the term continental means. Not breakfast. As in on a continent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do they call it continental breakfast? That's for a different For show. a different, different day. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Yeah. Peter Thins. Chip time! Stacy's Pita Thins Garlic and Herb. Thank you again, Mr. Michael C. We really appreciate it. His favorite chip, chip-like structure, chip thing. Well, these are quasi-good for you because, uh, for one, they're baked. Oh. So they're 50% less fat than regular potato chips. Oh, good. Okay. Um, they're not potato at all, so I don't know. Right. That's like comparing an uh, airplane to a taxi. Garlic and herbs. Yeah. Herbs. Herbs. Herbs flavor. So these come, in, baked. these come in all different kinds of, um, of uh, flavors. Uh, made with real pita bread, no artificial flavors, 50% less fat, low saturated fat. Wow. Um, I'm thinking let's give these babies a shot. Uh, we had a chip to ratio of uh, 58% today. I'm going. Yeah, go for it. Super crunchy. I just threw half of it on the floor. Here's the problem with pita chips, right? They're flaky, aren't they? Well, that too, but because they're less fat, yeah, they're more dry. Oh yeah, they're. So you need to kind of dip these in like a hummus or a a salsa or whatever, um, because they do get a little dry. Um, good flavor. If you like garlic and herbs, what kind of herbs? Does it say? It might say. I don't know. Parsley, chives. I've had pine, regular pita, pita chips before. These powder. are certainly thinner. Well, so. I'm getting some, um, this is not good. I'm getting some sour cream and onion aftertaste. I was kind of thinking it, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah. I don't want to influence. No, no. It's starting to linger in my mouth. Big pita fan. I probably wouldn't go with these. Probably got like some kind of cheddar barbecue or whatever. Oh, they make those? That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. They make like all different varieties. But um, I love the crunch. They're not as thick as the uh, regular. No, they're not. Um, 
they're, they're a little, there's a little airiness to them, which is nice. Yeah. And they don't fall apart, so they stay crunchy for multiple bites, which is good. So here's my problem. The, 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 I like to chip the crispiness, mm -hmm. but it's that freaking sour cream and onion aftertaste that just uh -oh. gets me. Well, I'm giving it one thumb. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go one thumb, too. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the, the future we'll try a different, different flavor yeah, we'll try and a different see, see what happens there. But We'll try whatever we um, Uno thumbo. Yeah, one thumb. Definitely, definitely fine. I think these would be finer dur with them. Um, Maybe a different flavor would be better. Yeah, definitely. Or, or with some uh, something to dip Ooh, in. Ooh, no MSG. That's always good. Michael Schenker Group. I was thinking famous German hard rock band. Incredibly famous. Yeah, especially especially in America. Yeah, well look yeah. it up. Big big time. Thank you for listening today. Next week we are going to go over hip flexor strain. Thank you to uh, to Tracy for giving us that idea. That so was a shout out one. Yeah. Uh, we're going to review the Private Selection General So's Chicken Chip. <laughs> and mind you, these have been in our chip cupboard for almost two years. We've been, uh, we've been holding off on these, waiting for a real special day, shall we These say. are apparently better when they're aged. Maybe. Uh, who knows? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Who yeah. knows? We never know. Uh, if you liked today's episode please tell your friends follow review subscribe if you want more information on this topic definitely follow us throughout the week on instagram and twitter a lot of visual stuff we discussed today will, will make a little bit more sense if you see the photos for more information on us head to our website reboundclinic.com he's jimmer i'm christian thanks for listening